0: You're listening to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by our long-lost friend, uh, Dyer Chris. How are you doing tonight, man?
1: I'm alive. I'm here. I'm happy to be here. It's been a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been, I guess, probably maybe like a year or so. I don't know. I think actually maybe this past winter or something like that.
1: Yeah. We did the whole thing about like end-of-year movies and that sort of thing. So I think it might have been like, I don't know, January, December or something like that.
0: Yeah. Pretty much a year from now is how it feels like. Yeah, uh, yeah there's so many things have happened since then. I know like a lot of the off-season stuff, I haven't got a lot of your uh, viewpoint on just because I know how busy of a person you are. Uh, so first, we'll talk about the Texans training camp and preseason. And after that, we'll kind of uh, just hang out for a little bit and talk about some movie stuff and uh, things that we've enjoyed this summer, because it is a very good time of year, especially before the Texans start playing football and just like, be maybe really bad at it so we'll enjoy and live in the optimism (laughs) while we can kind of sort of have it so i i think really this entire season that's coming up it depends entirely on deshaun watson like with the schedule Mm -hmm. they have to play with you know going against i mean like the worst quarterback they're gonna face i guess is like Derek carr you know Jameis winston who are still like Mm -hmm. better than case keenum was in denver or colt mccoy was in washington after alex smith got hurt Like, these are actually, like, explosive offensives that can do some things. And so they won't be able to just beat teams who have to run the ball. They won't be able to win a bunch of, you know, 21-13 games, especially with, you know, Clowney sitting out right now with the secondary being maybe uh, average, probably below average, hopefully, if that. And so they're going to have to score a lot of points. And so I I really do think this season depends on Watson being, you know, a top-five quarterback and MVP caliber quarterback this year. Uh, do you think we're going to see any instances mm-hmm. like this happening this preseason? Like in like week two of the preseason, you'd be like, Oh my God, I think, I think Watson has it. Or is this something that we just have to wait and t- wait and see whenever the regular season begins?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on how long you've been a full fan and a Texans fan and how much, you know, you, you value you put in preseason. You know, there were times where, you know, when I was much, when I was a much younger fan, I would get tricked in, into preseason magic and, you know, all you need to look at is I forget I, I've when name redacted had his first preseason game, game as a Texans quarterback. I mean, he threw a pretty damn good strike for a touchdown early on. And I thought, hmm, that was unexpected because I didn't really expect much from name redacted. And I thought to myself, oh, maybe they do have something here. And obviously that was the complete opposite of anything that actually happened in reality. Um, and yeah, I think maybe we will we'll see some flashes, but the important thing is none of that stuff matters because, you know, they don't open up the offense. They don't, you know, O'Brien – and the Texans seem to have, they, they seem to value secrecy as much as, if not more than the Patriots do big surprise. So yeah, I think the Texans definitely fall into that category of, you know, vanilla offense. They just use, they just really use it to get those guys some reps and get in the rhythm of, you know, getting some actual, you know, enemy pads popped on them, go out there and just feel good about going against another team, executing a couple of plays, not being sloppy and that sort of thing. So I mean, it kind of goes about saying that we don't put anything at all into preseason. Um, the, the the best we can do, I think, to, the, the, the ceiling, I guess the most positive things that we can hope for are obviously number one. Health is always number one. But to see that maybe he's developed, continue to develop chemistry with some of his offensive weapons, to see that Watson looks crisp, crisp coming out of those, uh, you know, those boots, if they run any. And to uh, just... Maybe. I don't know if if it's realistic to know that you can see a glimmer of this in the preseason, but it sure would be nice to get an idea that Watson might have improved on um, getting rid of the ball faster. I just, again, you know, if the defenses are also going to be vanilla, then I don't really put much stock into it.
0: Yeah, I I, I really, this kind of thing I'm going to see, just like quick passes, quick decisions, and also like things like, you know, it's third and 12 in the preseason. Don't run the ball for two yards at the middle. Uh, don't run any quarterback draws, <laughs> you know. And I like to also see him throw the ball downfield a bit more, too. I know there were so many times last year, like the Washington game, for example, where Watson throws one pass over 15 yards in the entire game, and it's because he's under duress and just lofts it up, and there's kind of like a fluky interception. Like that was it. And so I would like to see you know quick passes, some deep throws, but I don't. I don't think the same thing that we'll we'll see during the preseason. I think for sure it's going to be like immediately immediately week one. Um, he's going to have to bring it in and have to bring it for you know sixteen weeks if Houston's actually going to be a playoff team this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, everything everything depends on Watson, and it's just real unfortunate that this this offensive line you know reshuffle and rebuild has you know it's a couple years in now and i don't really feel any better about it this year than i did last year yeah they've made some changes yeah they brought in some new blood but it's the same kind of blood they brought in last time I mean, at least this time they you know last season they put in some free agent blood this year they put in some draft blood but i mean i think you can make the argument that both those guys are projects in fact i guess that's probably the chalk argument that both of the, um, the top two uh, offensive linemen drafted were our project guys and you know, Titus Howard, I would assume, I I don't care that he, you know, is from a smaller school, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's a first round draft pick and this offensive line has nothing as far as a, you know, solid left tackle. So I I don't really see any reason why he shouldn't be starting week one if it looks like he's you know, ready to go. So um, it's just one of those things where there's, there is this little part of me in the back of my head that wonders, you know, let's say Watson does get better off offensive line play he's so good at the improvisational stuff but so so i wonder like how much that'll affect his game not because i don't think he can do both but because he's got such good you know he's got such improved weapons now i think with the young tight ends and kiki QT, hopefully being healthy and obviously you got hopkins and will fuller if he can stay on the field i mean those kind of weapons plus his improvisational um, methods could i mean really be exciting but i think and Deshaun has proven since he's one of the top intermediate passers in the game that, given time, he can pick part an offense. So, I, I have ex- I'm excited about the Texans because I'm a Texans fan. But it's really just more about the offense, you know. And there's always that tinge of worry. I mean, it's never boring being a Texans fan because. You know, you get the excitement of a big potential big play offense, but it's always tinged with the fear that your quarterback will literally get his head ripped off on the field and bleed out. So it's just it's just never boring. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I think I I, I, kind of go back and forth. that I I want to see Watson develop behind a, a consistently good offensive line. But that's not going to happen anytime soon. They're not going to be consistently good this year. Let's say they're consistently good next year. Well, he's still going to need another year after that to sort of get in the rhythm, of actually having an offensive line. So I'm sort of afraid already that the Texans might be wasting Deshaun's prime years. Like they wasted Andre Johnson's prime years, like they've been wasting JJ Watts prime years. So that's the constant cycle of negativity of being a Texans fan.
0: Yeah. I guess the only good thing about that is that I think Watson is 24, 25, and the, the nerds say, the analytics say, quarterbacks hit their peak at, like, 30, 31 because it's so much more of, like, a mental, you know, sort of position or whatever. But they definitely wasted Deshaun Watson's rookie contract with this off season, where they still have $40 million they're sitting on. Yeah. You know, the two tackles that they drafted, yeah. like, I mean, I I watched Howard and, like, I didn't really see anything at all there. And then I watched Sharping and didn't see really anything at all there. And, uh, but like, Sharping, like, at least, like, it, there, there's at least more known with, uh, with Titus Howard, whereas, like, Sharpin like, doesn't have an NFL pass set, and, like, he doesn't know how to block the second level and whatever, and, like, he just got around playing, like, a kind of gimmicky offense where he was just bigger than guys. But, like, Howard, like, he looks like he moves well, and he has the size and strength and all that, but, again, it's like, he has to learn how to play. And so then you take that. They didn't sign Saffold. They didn't invest in the offensive line at all. They didn't add more to the secondary. They should probably sign at least one more corner. They didn't add an interior pass rush for this offseason. All these sorts of things. And so I really like I do I don't think they, they have wasted Watson's problem. I'm not concerned about that yet. But with Watson having, you know, this is his third year, next year is his fourth year, and then with him having his fifth year option, or like they won't even let him play mm-hmm. on that. They'll just accept him at that point. And so they'll only have like one more year left on his rookie deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think they've already kind of wasted his rookie contract and didn't have the didn't take advantage of the opportunity that like the Seahawks half a few years back or half the teams in the league this past year were teams with quarterbacks on the rookie contract. You think about Mahomes and Goff and, uh, and Trubisky, you know, it seems like that were able to build more of a complete roster because their quarterback still is on, uh, mm-hmm. on his rookie deal.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess to, to clarify a little bit, just just be a little, more, little bit more clear. I'm afraid they're going to waste his athletic prime Okay. because obviously his game right now. I mean, that's not what I said, so I can't say that's what I meant, but just the discussion is taking me there. Like they're, they're sort of, they're in this position to waste his athletic prime and he needs to get in the rhythm of being able to be a drop back, you know, passing quarterback where he can pick apart defenses if he is going to be that guy when he's 30. So if he can't actually start that until he's, you know, 26, 27, 28, like I, I want him to be able to grow into that role because. You know, I think there's a lot of people who just look at the surface of Deshaun. They just see a guy who can run and who can improvise. But like I said, his intermediate passing game is actually really great. And he does a great job of finding guys in the open field and the intermediate routes. His rookie year, he did it with the long passes. So he's shown he can do it. The league obviously has adjusted to him a little bit. But until he can get that consistent rhythm, uh, I, I just I just worry that he's going to still have to rely so much on his athleticism that when it comes time for him to transition to that more, you know, sort cerebral quarterback role that he just won't he won't have had enough reps doing that and of course on top of that you have the fact that who knows how much long how much longer bill o'brien's gonna last so you have the potential in another year or two years of another you know a regime change and a change of offense and starting the whole process over again it's just (laughs) it's just texan's life man it's just texan's life
0: yeah I, i think like the most frustrating thing about these past two years has been it's like Yeah, the team's a lot of fun. There's a lot of really great players, but like there's this still limiting factor over everything where it's like, yeah, like they won 10 games. They won 11 games last year. They made the playoffs, but they should beat that Colts team if they like, you know, Hopkins was injured. They were actually hit some passes deep and you know, whatever, like going in this year. It's like, yeah, this team is still has a lot of great players, but it's an incomplete roster. There's still these question marks. And, like, it's, it's still just, like, very frustrating because, like, it's a team that has always made, like, three or four, like, th- they made, like, you know, five great decisions but three bad decisions. And there's three really bad decisions where we keep holding them back, like, year after year after year. And, like, it just, it
1: never really ends, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, I mean, I don't want to skip past what you said about the schedule. I mean, obviously the schedule is the schedule every year. And it's like, oh, it's a hard schedule. It's not a hard schedule. But uh, in this instance, we know that the majority of those quarterbacks are not just going to suddenly have a big drop-off year and that's what we're worried about we're not really worried about how good the quote-unquote teams are we're worried about how good the quarterbacks are because that obviously is the Texans Achilles heel I mean obvious to us and several other fans and thousands and tens of thousands of others but apparently not as obvious to the team because they didn't really address the secondary as well as they should have um, so I just looking at that schedule like you mentioned I mean I don't you, I, I've heard you said maybe Derek Carr is the worst quarterback they face I mean we'll see how Nick Foles does in Jacksonville. He already showed what he could do against them with the Eagles last year, but that's obviously a completely different offense and philosophy. I mean, starting off against drew Brees, just, I, I hate that. I hate that, that opening game,
0: especially like, um, like healthy, and, you know, healthy drew Brees too, in new Orleans, like drew Brees was lost. His yeah. Arm and pissed off from game.
1: what happened in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. He like lost his arm strength last year too. So like, there's concerns that I have about breeze this year, but I'm not really concerned about him. Week one. I'm concerned about him like week six, you know,
1: yeah, that's fair because they do generally start out pretty slow from what I from what I recall. Um, and but you know they're also it's it's Monday night and it's New Orleans and they're going to be upset about what happened in the playoffs last year. So there's all that sort of you know intangible you know off paper stuff that may or may not matter. Yeah,
0: and I'm I have the FOA open up right now. I have a chance to read it. Yeah, I'm not going to read until I get back from vacation. But uh, the projected average opponent this year by DVOA for Houston's 3.3, percent which is the second a schedule in football this year. Their mean projection is eight wins. And they're like, they're 33% mediocre between five and seven wins. And then 39% playoff contender between eight and 10 wins. And the 18% Super Bowl contender, 11 plus wins. So, and their, their postseason odds are 32.5%. And their Super Bowl odds are 4.7%. So it's like, if like five things break right, they can be a great team and have a great year. But there's like so many just big ifs at the moment. And going back to Watson's situation, You know, last year the pass protection was 31st in football. They didn't do, I I really don't think they did much to improve. It's just kind of like, yeah, we still have a a lot of pieces here, and let's see what happens from training camp. Uh, The secondary, hopefully it's below average. uh, But even then, like, I I still don't really like Roby as your best cornerback at all. And Joseph still has trouble against deep Mm -hmm. passes, and they don't know who their slot corner is going to be. And Lonnie Johnson may never be good. And if he's good, it's probably going to take like three years for that to happen. Uh, just because he doesn't know how to, use, how to use his size and length at all. The pass rush isn't going to be any better. It may be worse because of injuries. Who knows if Watt can play 16 games? They still have Clowney. Who knows if they're going to trade him or not? Uh, they don't have the same schedule as they had last year as well, too. And so, like, considering this entire situation, do you think Watson can have an MVP caliber season this year? And if so, like, if he is, like, the, a top-five quarterback, what do you think Houston's record could be if he does pull that off?
1: I mean, to answer your first question, I, I really don't. I just think it's I just think it's way too much pie in the sky right now. There's so many things that would have to break. Let's say, you know, let's say the offensive line is improved. Well, I mean, they still have that murderous schedule and that doesn't really do anything. I mean, I could see them I could see them having a top offense, like maybe a top five offense in the whole league, but losing a ton of games, you know, 45, 42. I mean, I could absolutely see that with the way the secondary is 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 coming about. And they do, like you mentioned, they're relying on a couple of aging stars like who knows what's gonna happen with what and the uncertainty with clowning where's your pass rush gonna come from you know J. Joe has been a stalwart for a lot of years he does have some issues out there but also at his age i mean every year like for three years now we've been saying yeah he's been pretty good and pretty consistent but you know once you lose it you really lose it you could just fall right off a cliff and, and there's not a whole lot of depth there so i you know you have to assume injuries on every team every year it's so so rare when when a team does and have some significant injuries, and I mean, you know, the Texans are no different. So, uh, I just, I don't know. I just feel like it's pie in the sky to think that he might be an MVP candidate. That said, having a full training camp, healthy, and uh, the fact that last year he even sort of admitted that he, I think, after the first two games, he changed his film watching habits a little bit, talking about thoughts, and he changed his habits a little bit and improved some things. And they sort of got after a little bit. So he got after. He got off to a little bit of a slow start. And I want to say in college, he also had a reputation, Watson did, for getting off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, so I just, when you think about the offensive line issues, the secondary issues, and I mean those, and, and I know we're talking about, you know, Watson's potential candidacy as an MVP. But I mean, you know, if if the defense is going to get shredded constantly, that's just going to put more pressure on Watson constantly, which puts more pressure on the offensive line, which increases the chances he could get hurt you know, the more improvisational stuff that he has to do. So yeah, I I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, I really, I really just don't. I I'd I'd like to be more optimistic about it, but um, I think you can have it. I think you have a fine year. Uh, It's just hard to imagine, you know, QT and Will Fuller, both staying healthy. You know, Hopkins is already on the PUP list, but who knows if that even really is a thing. I don't, I don't think it's anything to be concerned about at this point, but he played through a bunch of injuries last year. It's just hard to imagine and all those things staying consistent. And then also being in a position where they, you know, they're not going to be in a position. I don't think where they can sit back and run the ball to run clock. You know, they're going to have to be playing catch up a lot. I think this year.
0: And also the run game hasn't been good for, you know, I guess since like 2016. Uh, No, I guess probably 2000. Yeah, I guess 2006. No, I think 2015 it's been like four years since the run game has been like even mediocre. And I, I think Lamar Miller is good, but I think definitely the problem is the outside zone blocking and since, you know, Brian Brooks and Derek Newton were on the right side of the offensive line, this offensive line hasn't been able to block the second level at all whatsoever. And it's so, like, I, I mean, I think Watson could do it, but like the offensive line has to be mediocre and then all the skill position players have to be healthy. Like Hopkins, uh, uh-huh. Will Fuller and Cutie, they all have to play 16 games. And like, if that doesn't happen, if he loses, you know, one of them or two of them or, you know, Fuller plays 10 games, Cutie plays seven games, uh you know cahill warring doesn't like you know get it this year uh, and they rely a lot on like you know the jordan twins who who were pretty good last year but they just had trouble blocking like I, I don't know i just don't see it unless all those things break ryan like, those are two big question marks and i don't think the offensive lines can be mediocre this year i would guess that those three guys wouldn't st- won't stay healthy for the entire season but, like if those two things happen and then you also take the fact that bill o'brien is super conservative he wants to keep Watson in the pocket. He wants to run the ball. He wants to hold on to the ball and play the whole sort of style. Like if his own limitations in the offense itself is also another problem too with it. But like also in kind of a weird way. Like and then the schedule kind of helps Watson's development because they're going to have to score a lot of points. And O'Brien definitely plays to the score on the scoreboard. Like he like if it's if it's a close game, he's sure. going to play conservative. And then when they're down by ten, they break the offense open. And then when they're down by 10, you have fun his whole games like Seattle two years ago, Kansas City two years ago, uh, the Jets this past year, the Eagles this past year. Like these really fun games for Watson actually threw the ball downfield and actually like they actually had to score points that they were actually fun to watch. And so like in a, in a masochistic way, like <clears> you kind of hope they go down by 13 in some of these games or 17 and they have to play back from behind. They actually are like fun and enjoyable and the ball is being thrown downfield and Watson's in control of the entire offense at the same time.
1: Yeah, all the things we're talking about as far as schedule and the players and the development of offensive line and, you know, the offseason they had to improve the team and injuries and all that. I mean, the the constant is Bill O'Brien. And one of the things that just drives me absolutely crazy about O'Brien every year, and there's always always multiple games every year where where this happens, where the Texans are down by 10 with four minutes left, but they're playing like they're down by seven. And that absolutely drives me crazy. And I don't know how much of that is, is O'Brien per se and how much it is, you know, Watson just not hustling up and running the offense faster. But I mean, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be O'Brien because Watson certainly didn't have any problems running the offense in college. So when I, when I watched them, you know, down by 10, with four minutes left, and they're still getting the snap off with four seconds left on the clock. It just drives me nuts. And I know yeah. it can't be Watson because he's proven he doesn't, he does it otherwise. And
0: that indie game, and like that I'm stuff's sure the, not going to change. That indie game in the playoffs last year is a great example of that, too, where it's like they're down by 13 yes. and it's the third quarter and there's like six minutes left. They haven't crossed midfield yet and they're walking to the line of scrimmage and the fans are booing them. I like, What are we even doing here? You know, it's like they already made the beat permission. which they went yeah. down
1: to Yeah. In the playoffs, it's like, it's like, it's like, People always talk about pressure for athletes, but let's talk about pressure on the coaches. I mean, that was a horrific example of, of coaching in the playoffs in the time where they needed it the most. And like I said, I, 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 I've seen enough of Deshaun Watson, co- Deshaun Watson in college to know that that wasn't him. And I mean, I don't know, maybe at some point Deshaun just needs to take the bull by the horns himself and, you know, run that offense on his own, like a, like a sort of like a player coach to take a risk and see if it works because if it works, O'Brien can't be as mad as he would be if it didn't. You know what I mean? Like yeah. someone has to save the team at some point.
0: Yeah, Uh do. You, so BFD has this theory that with the hire and Carl Smith, because Carl Smith is like known for being the guy who put Russell Wilson and turned more into a pocket passer and the sign of AJ McCarron to be his mm-hmm. backup. Now O'Brien doesn't want to use Watson as a runner. He wants to keep him in the pocket. He doesn't want to run a bunch of play action. He doesn't want to run a bunch of bootlegs. And so the entire offense is going to be like three-step drops, shotgun, uh, you know, one tight end, three-ball receivers, one running back sets. Do you believe that? And do you think we're just going to put Watts in the same offense that Tom Savage was in two years ago, that Hoyer was in four years ago, the name redacted was in three years ago?
1: I mean, I can't imagine like it's, this is, this is two things that, that, that can't exist at one time. Oh, O'Brien bending and changing things and also the fact that they went out and hired carl smith and then will suddenly tell him hey we hired you to come in and help watson develop but we don't want you to do the things that actually worked i can't i can't see both of those things existing at the same time so i don't know i just feel like there is probably going to be some sort of shitty compromise there whereas you know and the the best way to do it i think would just be to let carl smith do his thing but o'brien doesn't have enough self-awareness Awareness to allow that. I mean, we've seen we've seen O'Brien's lack of self-awareness over and over and over and over again. So, I mean, I, I'd love to say that they're gonna he's gonna come in and, and sort of change the way Watson does things, but at the end of the day, he can't change the play calling.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I just I like the offense sets most and they run those jet sweeps, all the play action. It's super open, super fast. can take a lot of shots downfield. Like an offense that scored all those points in Seattle and Kansas City and. Uh, in Cleveland, you know, two years ago and last year, like when it was actually open and there just hasn't been enough of that at all. And so I, that's the one concern I have is that they're great. He's going to go back to that same super genius offense where you have to know every single coverage, every single route, you have to know the entire field. The only works of like Tom Brady's your quarterback, you know, um, but going back to yeah. this, I guess i about training camp specifically. Like the only thing I'm excited for is watching the offensive line. Cause I know so much of train camp is meaningless. Uh, We'll talk about this in a second too, but like never really matters at all. It's just like, yeah, football's here, and very rarely does something happen in training camp and preseason that has any resemblance of reality or matters on one of the regular season stars. But with there's so much mm-hmm. like mix up in the offensive line, the fact that the left tackle spot, left guard spot, and right tackle spot are probably are all open up in the air. Um, like I'm actually like really excited to watch this entire offensive line for the, these first three preseason games. I uh, sift through my news feed and, you know, whenever I'm working, try to read about what's happening in the offensive line as much as possible. Cause I think there actually is like meaningfulness with the offensive line this year. So who do you think is going to end up being their, their starting offensive line week one. And like, even this probably doesn't matter because like week three, Bill Brown probably changed the entire offensive line anyways. But uh, who do you think is going to be the Texans yeah. week one
1: offensive line? I mean, obviously Martin at the center position, um, after that, it gets a little bit dicey. I, I, I guess at this point I expect them to continue with, uh, uh, uh Kelamite and Fulton at the guard positions, the tackles, I just, I, I just, I feel like Davenport still deserves a shot at left tackle. Um, but as far as like who, like, like you said, it's not going to matter a couple of weeks in because I mean, O'Brien has changed his quarterback back permanently at halftime of the first game of the season before. So <laughs> the fact that he'll shuffle the offensive line, I mean, he might do that after two plays for all I know. Um, but if I guess if I, if I had to, if I had to put money on it, I would say uh, at the tackle positions, I mean, I don't know how well suited Davenport is to play right tackle, but maybe him there and Titus Howard in the left tackle position. I just don't see Titus Howard starting on the bench. I just don't see it. So I'm going with the two free agents as the guards again, Nick Martin, again, at the center position, I mean, I guess Davenport, a right tackle. I don't know if if Rankin has any chance at all to play right tackle. Um, I I still feel like Rankin would be better suited as a guard. That's not really based on a whole lot other than just kind of a bunch of reading from last year. And he didn't really show me a a whole lot as a tackle. But I I don't want Rankin to get lost in the shuffle. Like, I, I feel like he's very talented and just he, you know, he had sort of a poor start last year because of the injury in preseason. And training camp and I, I feel like he could be you know one of those guys who is a bit of a sleeper to come in and and you know live up to his draft hype from last year
0: yeah yeah I agree I I really like Rankin and I'm still upset about last year where he just comes in after not having a training camp at all I was like yeah you're just gonna start left tackle and just be completely eviscerated and then we're gonna everybody's gonna think you're terrible and awful when like he should never play left tackle to begin with um if he was gonna play tackle he had to play right and they didn't do that for mm-hmm. him but I think Matt Khalil is going to start left tackle 100% if he's healthy. They gave him $7.5 $7. million this year. So if he's healthy, he's going to make $7.5 and, and they're going to, yeah. I think
1: for sure. Yeah. And see, I, I, like logically, yeah, like I think because of the dollar amount, I think that's their intention. But I don't think he's going to make it to, to week one. I think he either isn't just, he just isn't going to be healthy enough or he'll be terrible or he'll actually get hurt at some point in the preseason. Yeah. So that's. That's that's why I didn't even mention his name.
0: Yeah, probably so. I just I have I I just always assume the worst, I guess. You're faith, you're fatalist. We all we all After are. all these years, it, my heart used to be nice and like pink and pure, and now it's just black rot. But uh, yeah, I think it's for, battle red it used to be battle red, now it's like I guess black rot, you can call it that. Uh, whatever <laughs> lies underneath the tombstones. But I do think Khalil's gonna start left tackle. I would guess Franken's gonna start left guard. I'm gonna write like a film room for like next Monday. For whenever I'm you know backpacking, uh, just to be able like plug in on the side next week about like you know ranking two starts at left guard. And he's like he's pretty good. Like he's a pretty good guard. And he's like definitely like a, a talented offensive lineman. So I don't really have any concerns at all of them like being a bust or anything, which is hard for like a third round pick to yeah. be. But I think he's a for sure starting offensive lineman uh, in the league. I think he starts the left guard just because Calmente was injured, but his hands are really bad. He's a terrible pass protector. And, like, that's the biggest issue right now is, is pass protection. And I think Rankin could step in and be the best interior pass. Well, I think him and Fulton will, like, be good enough as interior pass protectors. And I would guess Martin's going to be there at right center, even though he's, like, below average. But because he's a second-round pick and his, he's Nick Martin with Notre Dame and his brother is Zach Martin, he just gets to keep playing. Uh, I would think Fulton's going to play right guard. Like, Fulton could even end up playing center as well, too. Who knows? And that right tackle, I would guess Ty Howard's going to play right tackle. Because uh, like you're saying, like he was drafted in the first round of play this year, and even if he is kind of like a project and whatever, I think they're going to try to like have him learn on the fly and learn as much as possible because he he does have like all the like, athletic profile of a talented player, um, and they're just going to try to get him up to speed as fast as possible with like an offensive line coach who's never developed a good offensive lineman other than like maybe Greg Manx being a competent like third uh, you know guard slash backup center, so. We'll see how that goes, but my guess is Khalil, Rankin, Martin, Fulton, Howard.
1: Yeah, that 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 sounds feasible, and I think it's important to to keep in mind when you when people think about who's going to be in the starting lineup, especially with this offensive line. Don't think so much about the player themselves. Think about the competition in front of them. And there's just not yeah. a whole lot. There's there's no there's no one of excellence ahead of anyone. No one, honestly, not a single one of those five positions in a true. Um, you know, competition situation should have a locked in position. None of them, not even Nick Martin. So um, when you think about the competition in front of those guys, especially for Titus Howard, I mean, he's got to be one of the most talented guys on there. It doesn't mean he's one of the best, but he certainly has the talent. So I just feel like, I just feel like none of those guys should be safe.
0: Yeah. I'm excited. to Watch like Howard against real competition. Cause like, I mean, a lot of stuff that I saw about like his analysis or something that like Auburn game last year, and you're like, yeah, he's making a backside block. He knocks over the defensive end, but it comes like two seconds after the play's over and the play's on the opposite side of the field and the running backs tackle two yards behind. Like this has no semblance to an actual oh NFL player or a play that matters at all. So I'm excited to see what he actually does since real competition. But uh, so like, uh-huh. I think this actually matters. Like I think the offensive line matters this preseason. But can you think of anything at all, like in any other preseason that happened and you're like, oh, okay, this is important. And it ends up actually being important in the regular season. The only thing I could think of is Tom Savage is really bad. Like everybody who has like (laughs) even a brain, the greater, you know, greater than the size of a hot dog. Like they understand that Tom Savage is bad entering that season. And so that's the only thing I can really think of, but uh, do you have any other examples at all?
1: Oh man. Uh, On this team, nothing's really coming to mind. I mean, I can't ever remember a player making such a huge impact in preseason that it put him in the spotlight for the regular season. Other than like the one that comes to mind, I guess is the real famous one is I think it was Terrell Davis way back in the day. He made some insane play in the free season that kind of thrust him into the spotlight ended up being, you know, one of the best running backs to ever, you know, play for the Broncos. And um, I don't know. I think he might've actually ended up in the hall of fame after many years of being on the cusp. But I mean, related more to the Texans, I, I'm not, nothing's coming to mind other than the fact that, you see players that are like, to me, I, I value the things that happen in preseason that are bad, not the things that are good because the good things, like I mentioned before, the, the conditions really aren't right. The vanillas are, the, the, the offenses are vanilla. The defenses are vanilla. So the the real standouts, unless it's like someone on special teams who makes a great return or someone who shows that they can do a lot of coverage, you know, who, who can cover well, cover punts, cover kicks. I mean, on special teams, it's important, you know, it, on the offense and the defense. Yeah. If you have offensive linemen who can straight up block someone one-on-one and they show you something, then that could be a positive. But for me, I look at the negative stuff. When I see someone really screw up in the preseason, that's what gets me thinking, Oh God, like you can't, you can't do anything against their fourth string guys. Like these guys are going to be, you know, having these guys are going to have other jobs in two weeks, going to be out of the league completely. And this guy's a third rounder and he's, you know, completely whiffing. Like I, I pay a lot more attention to the negative stuff than I do the positive.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess the only thing I think of was whenever Trevor Daniel beat out Shane Leckler in that punting competition, like he just completely True, yeah. so much better than him. And Leckler was all mad and then took to.
1: Michael. He was mad. I remember.
0: Yeah. He was like on
1: podcast. That was one of my favorite things about, about that, that year. Like,
0: you haven't tried for four years. You've been bad for four yes. years. You're drinking. you bad belly and, on the sideline. Exactly. You have no, nothing exactly. to complain you've been about
1: bad anymore. and fat. <laughs> 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 like you're only a pro athlete by the day. Definition of the word, okay? Like, let's not pretend that you're insulted somehow.
0: Yeah, I remember they <laughs> that was just, hysterical to me. They, be. Had, they had all those Twitter pictures thing. It was like last summer was like Shane Leckler's like fiftieth birthday, and he was wearing a leather bracelet. I was like, oh, this son of a bitch! I was just <laughs> i was so upset.
1: Uh, uh, I'm sure the the western shirt with the pearl buttons on it, right?
0: For sure. And like when those floppy like indie rock hats, like a Lord of Huron hat. Yeah, I, uh-huh. I, I'm mad already again. <laughs> Uh, so the, the, I guess the other really big thing about training camp is that Jadavion Clowney's not going to be there. And he wasn't there last mm-hmm. year cause he was coming back from an injury. And I don't know how much of that was the injury, how much of it was not having the training camp, but he was bad last year. And so week four, whenever him and Watt, uh, dominated the Colts backup offensive tackles, I think they each had, they combined together for five sacks. I think that was a game where Clowney actually scored a touchdown too. Uh, I know Watt forced a fumble. I think, uh, Clowney almost forced him. I think he may force the fumble, didn't recover, but they were awesome that game. They were kind of awesome for the rest of the year on. And so Clowney's not going to be there. He doesn't have a contract. It's expected for him to be there week one if they don't trade him. But uh, the good news is that Brandon Scarlett had a PFF grade of 89.9 last year. So do you think he can keep the seat warm for a little while in case Clowney decides to sit out for a week or two into the regular season? And uh, how much are you going to miss him until he comes back?
1: Uh, I mean, I... I guess he can i, I scarlet's one of those guys where i didn't really notice him too much in the regular season but i definitely noticed him in the preseason he's one of those guys who's shown a lot of flashes in the preseason and then when the actual regular season starts he kind of disappears a little bit kind of what we were talking about earlier um but you know Scarlett did some good things during the year it just didn't really jump off the screen too much to me which but that's not really what we're talking about He can't obviously you can't fill clowny shoes but can he keep the seat warm i mean sure he's competent enough he's been in the league a couple of years now another year under cornell's system you know, a full camp, maybe getting a lot more reps. I mean, obviously he'll be getting a lot more reps without Clowney out. So, so sure. I mean, you know, if Clowney is a 95, then maybe Scarlet can be an 80, you know, I, I don't know. I just sure he can fill in and he, he, I guess he can, he can be not terrible. He can be above average. Um, but Clowney's definitely going to be missed. I, I, I agree. It's troubling that he wasn't good to start the year last year. And all we have to go on is that unless there was some undisclosed injury that we didn't know about so i mean i fully expect that this will be the same way and i would not expect climate to show up until week one i don't see any reason you know why it would be any different so we probably won't expect him to be at full form until you know around the first the the quarter turn of the of the season which is really unfortunate because i am in agreement with you and so many other fans that I, i just don't really understand the hesitancy I'm giving him a deal. Yeah. He had some injury issues, but I mean, he's proven the last couple of years that he can still play at a high level, even when he's got some nagging injuries and he's not, it's not like he's 30, you know, he's got this, this contract that he's going to sign. Like if he ends up signing a multi-year deal in the next couple of years, we'll take him through, you know, into his late twenties.
0: Yeah. Guess how old if, is. If I'm right. I thought Clarence um, was like 28 or something. Cause I feel like he's been around I was forever. Say-
1: yeah, I was gonna say maybe twenty six.
0: Yeah, he's twenty six. I feel like he's so much older because he's just been yeah. around for like it feels
1: like nine years now. Yeah, and and I'd have more concerns about him when he, you know on that next contract, not his second contract, but his third contract. But this, which I guess is pretty you know par for the course for any player for the most part, but especially a guy who has had some injury history. But I mean, he's shown now that he can give you at least you know twelve, fourteen games a year, and and yeah, he plays a lot of those games banged up. But I mean. Teams still have to scheme for him. So even if he's not 100%, you know, he still makes an impact on the game. And, I mean, the guy just got quicks like nobody's business. I mean, right now, not maybe in, in, their, in their last couple of years, you see Clowney beat the snap so quickly and get in the backfield. And it reminds you of Watt in his prime. It's like, wow, wow, both these guys are on the same team, you know, wreck and shop together. And I just, you know, they need to take advantage of that as long long as they can, because who knows how much longer what's going to last. And I just really, I I don't know. I just, it's
0: hard part of me. I hate it so much.
1: Yep. It's devastating. I do too. But part part of me wonders, like he, 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 does seem like such a, you know, he's right on the cusp of being a dominant player and he still has room to improve. So sometimes I get, I actually do get sucked into the thinking like, well, maybe there is something going on in that building that we don't know about. And like, they see his work habits or something and they, don't feel good about him, but I mean, even if he doesn't have the best work habits, he's still producing on the field. You know, he still has the potential—the potential to get better. He's still a game record. They still have to scheme around him. You're still going to have he and Watt on the same team, which, as long as they're actually able to play, is going to be a problem for the other team when they're, you know, when they're working out their game plans. And I just, you know, it's not like he spent half the year on the shelf last year. Yeah, it took him a while to get going, but I just don't. It just—it just feels something. There's something that just feels off about their treatment of him. It just makes me wonder. If O'Brien and he just don't have the best relationship and O'Brien assigns more weight to the fact that he isn't as much of a, you know, militaristic, you know, accept everything patriot kind of guy. I think it's, it's something silly like that. And that, that upsets me a great deal.
0: Or it's like the whole Bill Belichick thing that you don't pay edge rushers, you know, because they aren't as important or whatever. you let Trey Flowers go, but Jadavion Clowney's not Trey Flowers. Uh, Yeah. I hate it because like you mentioned, you know, Clowney's twenty six. He has the room to get better. And, like, as a pass rusher, his problem is that he has, if his first move, it's not that he only has one move, it's that if his first move gets stopped, he doesn't have an answer for it. So, like, if you stop his rip, like, that's kind of his pass rush. Or if you stop his swim, that's in his pass rush. And, like, he doesn't have that second option like Watt has. Uh, But, like, yeah, he's 26, and, like, he was so good last year, especially as a run defender. I think he was actually really underrated as a pass rusher. Like, if you just, like, even look at his stats from last year, he had you know eleven quarterback hits, nine sacks, thirty five hurries, three passes batted. Mm-hmm. You know Watt had forty two hurries, and also Watt's going up against bad right tackles like Chad Wheeler, where he had three sacks against the Giants and uh, the Jaguars. You know third string tackle in week seventeen, who had who he had three who had two sacks against as well too. And it's so, like if you look yeah. at sacks, like yeah, Clowney's med- you know fine or whatever. He's not great, but I think he's actually a great pass rusher. But there's like still room for him to get better. Um, and also, it's just like aesthetically, like yeah. I've never seen anybody like him before. Where he's just so physically dominating, and the fact that you know he was yeah. drafted in the first first round, two thousand and fourteen. We waited four years for Walla and Klein to actually play together because Wallace hurt the last two years. Klein was Klein's been healthy the last three years. And uh, they finally had a chance to play ch- play with each other. You have forty million dollars in cap space. You have seventy million dollars in cap space next year. And now you're not yeah. going to take the advantage of it. And it's just it's so unbelievably dumb. Yeah. And like front load it, man. Yeah, you know, give him a mean, thirty, you're him 30 million dollars loaded. this year. Pay him thirty million dollars this year. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you at all. And,
1: and, and to your point about him being aesthetically pleasing, yeah, that's that, that's so tr- true. I mean, I think you and I both over the years, like we've we've when I see something that is super impressive on a football field, the thing that makes me do first is laugh. Like I just laugh and watching all those years where Watt was just clowning, like, you know, Juan Taylor and all those guys on the, you know, the the, the other couple of guys from the Tennessee Titans offensive line, who've been talking trash about him, just watching him like literally in a space, the size, the size of, you know, a closet whipping the guy so bad that he doesn't even get touched. I mean, that just makes me laugh when I see yeah. that. And clown is the same kind of, guy you watch replays and Clowney is just whipping guys and getting them, getting them so off balance with his punch. And it's just, it's so, it's just so much fun to watch. And another thing I want to say about Clowney just to stump for him a little bit is that one of the other knocks about him coming out of college was them questioning his effort level. And that has never been an issue in the pros. Now it might be an issue in the film room or maybe on the practice field, but on game day, how many times have you seen big ass Jadavion Clowney chase down a slot receiver from behind or Oh, yeah, for sure. down, you know, a receiver in general from behind sideline to sideline speed running downfield way after a guy had, you know, broken into the I mean, he, the effort level has never been an issue for him. So I just I just feel like there's a personality conflict with he and O'Brien and O'Brien is assigning too, too much weight to that in the realistic world of 2019 NFL football. Like you can't control guys, man, yeah. that that time of Vince Lombardi or even early Bill Belichick check is is over i mean belichick's still there but he's the one guy that can do it just like brady's the one guy that can do the stuff that he does like the the, the days of controlling guys militaristically i mean that that's garbage that's such an old old world way of thinking
0: yeah and belichick's only able to do it because brady gets paid like 17 million dollars a year uh (laughs) right and yeah like i mean I, i think this is like the worst thing about being a football fan though it's that you have these guys, and maybe you, maybe they're great for five years, and they're hurt, and then their career is over. Maybe you have a team that you love, and you need to watch that team for three years, and then it's over. Like the lifespans are so short, and so it's like now now it's like it's finally coming together with Clowney. Now like he's healthy, he's been dominant, and he's been dominant for three years now. Like Watt's healthy, now you found this chance to watch this thing that you waited four years for and finally had, and now you have the chance to continue it. And then Clowney can be the next thing that you you build your defense around. After Watt, you know, whenever his career ends or whenever he falls off and he has like, you know, eight sacks a season instead of 16, and you're just gonna mm-hmm. let that all like, you know, completely disappear because you come up with this idea, doesn't work hard, you don't get along with him. And like, I'm I can't wait to watch Clan this year, never actually does play because he's been healthy this entire offseason. He's like posting Instagram videos where he's just a monster. He's working out with like Julius Peppers and Carlos Smith. His for, uh, his personal trainers is LeBron James's personal trainer. Like, I think he's mm. going to have 27 sacks this year. And, like, I think he could be a defensive <laughs> player of the year, like, sort of candid. And, like, now Oops. we're wasting that because uh, you don't want to pay him $4 more million more. you gave Angelo Blackson $4 million a year to have, like, one sack and, you know, 13 run tackles, you know?
1: <laughs> right, yeah. And I, and I wonder with Clowney, like, if he had the freedom to improvise the way Watt does, what could he be? But I also don't know if his film room habits are good enough to be as cerebral of a player as Watt. So I'm trying to be devil's advocate a little bit here, but I just feel like if he could freelance the way Watt does, I mean, just I just wonder how destructive, how more destructive he could be.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be more like he would get the better matchup because Watt gets the best matchup. He goes against the worst tackle, and Clown gets the tougher matchup every Mm -hmm. time they play. But like Clown's just sort of like he's just a straight forward like you know Grim Reaper, whereas like like Watt makes guys miss, and Clown's just like yeah, I'm just gonna go through everything and you know go through two Mm -hmm. blockers, go through a pooler, grab this guy by the hair. And I uh, completely like, society, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so I don't know. I'm a great moment. <laughs> he, yeah. He's so violent and like, I mean, I think I didn't think see a really hard season for Houston and just like not having clowny out there right away. It's just been like a big dark cloud over an already like awful off season. So uh, the next question I have for you, I guess the last question, so we get to our, our, our reader slash listener questions is, uh, are there any position battles you're really looking forward to watching this preseason? aside from the offensive line.
1: Um. Oh, man, I, I, I'm i I feel like the I've read a little bit about how the starting tight end is sort of just going to be ex- accepted to be uh, Jordan Thomas. But I, I want to see that position. Bella. I want to see someone actually grab that position to take it and take it by the horns. Like now we see wearing has, uh, uh, has has there been an official word on the pronunciation of that last name? Is it warring? Is it wearing?
0: I say wearing, but it's probably warring. It's Waring. Like, Let's I'm just go with that for about now. Everything.
1: Yeah, well, I am too, and I think the opposite. So one of us is definitely wrong. Anyway, i i i, I was ex- I was excited to see like he seems like he could be sort of a you know hidden gem, kind of explosive player in that position if used correctly. But now we see he's starting the list on uh, the the year on the non you know non football injury uh, PUP list. So again, like we have no idea how severe those uh, injuries are at this point. But that that was a that was a bummer for me to read because I was really hoping he would get a full on. Comp- Complement of and training camp and it's rookie weird, camp and, and it's off season weird
0: too, because it's like it's not an injury designation; it's like a active non participant designation. So I don't know what's wrong with him at all.
1: Yeah, so I, I I would love to see how that tight end position would shake out if everyone is sort of on equal footing and could uh, and could fight it out. Um, you know, you said aside from the offensive line. Uh, just one cheat in there. I, I would love to see someone else get a shot at the center position. Just, just, yeah. just to see if one of those other guards could be better than Nick Martin. I think Fulton uh, could I'm be. I'm just think... really afraid they're gonna. Yeah, yeah, Fulton for sure. There's a possibility um, of sliding over there, and I'm just also just really afraid that they're just gonna give Nick Martin a big stupid deal before the season starts. <laughs> and I, well, I, I, I just would, don't. I don't like. I don't like him enough.
0: Yeah, I think I think yeah, what I, I would like do him is enough just, for that. if they if they do that to Martin, I think I would refuse to write any analysis on the Texans and just publish new stuff, and then like write <laughs> about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. every week.
1: Oh God, yeah. So I would like to see that in the center position. Um, I, I do want. I know that, that that Deonta Foreman and O'Brien have their issues. Like you said, Lamar Miller can be good. Is he going to be used correctly? We probably know he's not going to be all the time. But, you know, Foreman apparently had this come to Jesus moment over the offseason and talked to O'Brien and convinced him so much that they didn't end up, you know, doing a whole lot in the running back market for free agents or in the draft. So, I mean, I truly, if it's a, if it's a true open competition, I'd like to see who would win that battle. Um, and, and I mean, even, I just.
0: And even that sounds crazy, too, because, like, the question Foreman just is injury, like, if he's healthy or not, I don't really think, I don't understand, like, this whole, like, Oh, uh, yeah. He, we, we talked to him and he really, uh, impressed us. No, I know he's really learned a lot. I mean, so, that, no, he's a, he's a talented guy. That's not something guy. that happens in football. Yeah. It's just, it's insane. Yeah. That's not a thing that
1: happens in football. That's a thing. That's the thing that happens at my office. Like where I work, like someone goes, and is like, Hey, you know what? I know I've been kind of, Crappy employee the last you know year, or so I used a lot of sick leave when I shouldn't have, and I've been leaving early, <laughs> and I've been you know coming in late. But I really feel like I can you know I'm not going to let you down this time, boss. Okay, well go you know play with your spreadsheet, boy. Like in this situation, I, how does that how does that fly in the NFL? That doesn't make any sense to me at all.
0: Yeah, I hate it. I I hate it so much. Um, yeah, guess how many targets Ryan Griffin had last year.
1: <laughs> um. Forty? I and don't. I have no had, idea. He had
0: forty-three, which is third on the team. Yeah, and so it's like there, Oh my like, god! That's yeah. disgusting. <laughs> and like, because you know DeAndre Hopkins had like four hundred thirty targets last year, but like even if Warren, oh like I don't think it really matters so much who the first tight end is because I think all of those guys are probably get like twenty-five targets or twenty targets or something, and they'll spread them out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, would be my guess there. But yeah, I I would love to see Warren though come in start right away as a tight end because. He's like, everybody was excited about Fedorowicz. Fedorowicz was never good. Whereas, like, Waring, I think, could be, like, a, a really good weapon, a really good offense. And so I think Houston may have found, like, their first good tight end since Owen Daniels with that selection.
1: Yeah, but, you know, again, O'Brien is O'Brien, and, and Waring is a rookie, and you know how, how O'Brien feels about rookies. So I just, like you said, I'd love to see him just get thrown in and to see what could happen just just based on, you know, what he did in college and his athleticism. Um, and the fact that you know he can actually block a little bit and you know th- it's not like you're losing it's not like you're losing out on the blocking end by taking him over you know thomas or Aikens, you know, those yeah, other guys like bad a couple of those guys just, yeah they're they're not they're not just they're not just like you know needs to improve they're actively not good at it so why not just go with the guy who has the highest ceiling possible on the pass catching end, and let him continue to work on his pass blocking as well
0: yeah. Like I was, I was watching that video yesterday and I couldn't get over how bad of a blocker Robinson, uh, Robinson was. I thought he was much better or Jordan Thomas. I mean, I thought he was a much better blocker Yeah, Thomas. watching like the, the condensed versions, but yeah, he was, he was very bad. Um, so we had a, some, quick, And I
1: mean, they got spells in there too. And he's just, he's just like a, a blocking guy, I assume. So I don't know. I mean, how, how yeah, many, like how 20... many tight ends do you think they could possibly carry?
0: I don't know fellows is 34 and he had 12 targets last year in Cleveland. He called 11 of them, but, uh, yeah, he's not going to really go off for any passes. I don't think. So we had a, we had a mm-hmm. few, uh, reader questions. The first one's from DX techs. Chris, he asked you, is 2019 potentially 2013
1: 2.0? Man, I, you know, I don't think so because you got to take into account the, the quarterback talent. Um, and they just have better weapons. So, I mean, I, that 2013, team. I just, that was a nightmare that I feel like in some ways I've still not woken up from, <laughs> um, but, but no, I, I don't, I don't feel like I, I, I still feel like this team, I think I think if this team craters now, this, this might, this might be a little bit too optimistic for, you know, the masthead in general, but I feel like if this team craters, it's a five and 11, six and 10, I, I just, even, even with that tough schedule, I don't, I don't see, I just think there's, there's too much talent on the team. Um, to, to crater in the way that the 2013 team did. did. Uh, but I also feel like their ceiling is only, you know, maybe 10 games. Like even if they, if the offense is great, the defense is just not going to be very good.
0: Yeah. I think if Watson got hurt and if one of two of Plowndy or Watt got hurt, I think it could be like a, that's you know, true. Like yeah. Three wins for a season or whatever. But, like, yeah, as long as Watson's right, right, healthy, yeah, I think they can win enough close that,
1: games. That caveat is true, for sure, yeah.
0: yeah. I think as long as Watson's healthy, like, they can win enough close games. Like, they could beat, like, the Raiders, you know, 31-30 or something. And and I, I guess sneak by enough or whatever. And, like, you know, for sure, Ryan Tannehill's going to start in Tennessee as well. And, like, maybe they can beat Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I want to see it. I want to see such it. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to be hilarious. Uh, the next Do you remember week,
1: how 2013 started?
0: Yeah, it was awesome. The with that, Monday
1: night game in San Diego. With
0: Cushing at the pick six.
1: Yeah, had that big so much
0: comeback. hope. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> and then week two, they beat the Titans in overtime. And Hopkins pretty much walked him in the field with all those favorite out catches, and caught the game-winning touchdown that game. Mm-hmm. Or set up the game-winning yep, touchdown.
1: Good, good times. And then... Yeah. Um bad things happened and then many strokes and firings and Wade Phillips head coach and, and oh my god. Fake marijuana nightmares.
0: and bad knee injuries.
1: Yes. Oh I forgot about that. Yes. Synthetic synthetic weed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good old Sam Montgomery. I hope he's I hope he's living the dream somewhere.
1: Yeah.
0: Well uh, hopefully employed. Yeah. The next question we have is from Road Texan. He said, How many more punters will the Texans sign before training camp starts? <laughs>
1: I mean, no matter how many they sign, I don't think any of them are going to beat out Trevor Daniel. So, I mean, I like the fact they they bring in competition, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really remember if Brian Anger was ever actually any good. I just remember that he was like a third round draft pick or something for the Jags. So that's really the only notable thing I recall about him is that <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they drafted him a special teamer high. That's what it
0: was. <laughs>
1: how very Jack. So, didn't they and they also, I think famously Jacksonville took Gabbert uh, Gabbard right ahead of Watt. So they've got a lot of those uh, a lot of those issues.
0: Yeah. Uh, the other question you had too is also do you think with this new flat organization, that'd be possible for a data entry clerk to sign a data entry clerk to sign a player without even <laughs> <only> realizing it.
1: <laughs> Not only do I think that's possible, pretty Texan, but I feel like if you get your resume in and you enter as a, a data entry clerk where, you know, obviously there's a lot of competition. To work for a pro sports team, so you go in there, you take a minimum wage as a data entry clerk, and within a flat organization, you could possibly be the next general manager within a year or two.
0: I think so. The bar is pretty low. I was I was looking at the that Texans, like oh my god, or NFL, my god, things all the Texans media stuff. And I was looking at their analytics people. They have two analytics people employed, and one of them just has like a master's in sports management from Texas A and M. And uh, the other one, like, worked in healthcare, or whatever. And so that's that's the analytics department for the Texans. So, yeah, I think that's entirely possible. Huh. Um, the, he also had another question, too. He said, does the flat organization only mean that noted fails on Cal McNair won't have anything to do with the Texans at all?
1: Oh, my. I'm going to let you take that one.
0: Uh, you know, Cal, I think he has a bad rap. He played football at UT. It sounds like he's done more than, mm-hmm. than uh, what people have said he's done. So we'll see. Kate uh, Dennehy, uh, did you
1: hear um, any of his interview?
0: No, I, I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna listen to it tonight. Though I want to see what he actually said.
1: I just heard a part of it, and I wish I had listened to it without hearing this other a couple of the tweets that I saw. But when I saw the tweets, I thought to myself, "Yeah, it actually does sound that way." Apparently, like, apparently he, and and to me, like after actually seeing the tweets, um, it sounded like he was reading part of his response on a couple of these <laughs> things, which is really really, really strange strange thing to wrap my head around but i'm gonna try to give him the benefit of the doubt and of course um i don't know if you saw it a few years ago there's sort of that there was that couple of weeks where everyone was talking about that that like weird music video that cal made with some people and it was
0: awkward and corny
1: and okay okay great i'm going to find that and get it to you and the next time we uh speak we will we will discuss it You, you can do a whole film room breakdown episode on just that video because it's kind of amazing
0: okay this sounds good and then, uh, K identify asked, or, or or old pal K identify, she asked, what impact will this new flat organization have on the ability to maintain focus on the game, on the field as compared to behind the scenes activities, how will the players be affected?
1: Oh my God. I mean, I, I don't think the players will be affected too much at all. I, I, I doubt very seriously. The players are worrying about what's going on with the front office guys. You know, I, outside of a few exchange texts about, Oh man, it's crazy that Brian Gain got left go. And wonder what's going on there. I I just feel like as a pro, I think most pro athletes put that kind of stuff out of their head pretty quickly. So I'm not too worried about that. What I am worried about is having a, you know, cohesive um, thought process on, on, you know, in season moves. And uh, I I know that they'll just say, Oh, well, it's actually better because we have all our, you know, we're putting all these different heads together. And, you know, when it was Bob McNair and a GM before it was like, Bob McNair was the tiebreaker. If there was a dispute between Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien, and, and that, that it's it's whatever they have in place. That's the new version of that that worries me. And It's all thrown into flux, and you've got people picking up positions that they may not have the experience to pick up, and that affects your um, you know your connections around the, the league. You know, one thing about Rick Smith, you know, he wasn't the best general manager, but he sure he certainly had the connections and he had guys to you know to to move through. And those personal relationships matter a great deal. And there's I'm sure there's some guys like Chris Olson in the organization they should have some relationships like that. But I do think that you suffer from not having a guy who, you know, knows right away, you know, bam, you know, this player got released or, you know, this other thing happened. And I think I can pry him away. Like I read an article about this guy being unhappy. I'm going to make this phone call to this agent or whatever. Like th- yeah. those kind of interpersonal connections are important in the NFL.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like the thing about Rick Smith was always like, he would just, again, he would, he'd build a top heavy team. He wouldn't miss in the first round. He would just make like, Three really dumb mistakes every year that hurt the depth on the team. And uh, and then like even and all even all this stuff, like with Brian Gain having a bad offseason, like Bill O'Brien had final say on all on all personnel decisions. Like a lot of this has to do with him as well, too. And so my conspiracy theory is that he sees that Ryan on the wall is gonna be like a seven-nine season, preemptively got Brian Gain fired because he thought he'd get the Casario guy. And then at least and then he would have the scapegoat that whenever the season does go poorly, he could blame it all on him anyways. And so I think that's what, what's going to happen this year, uh, but that's that's just my my conspiracy theory. I think it's true. I think there are aliens in Area 51. I do think the Middle Ages <laughs> never happened. Uh, I do think uh, <laughs> Jesus had Jesus had a son and a sister, and uh, I don't know what else there are. I, there's not enough conspiracy. Are, are you gonna anymore.
1: are you gonna storm Area 51? No, are storm Area 51 I with don't. the rest of
0: them. I would like to go back to the desert, but not for that.
1: Yeah, you don't want to get mowed down by machine gun fire?
0: (laughs) No, I do like the idea of it, though. It sounds like fun.
1: I mean, I sort of love the anti-authoritarianism project in and of itself, but the fact that the United States, or uh, whatever, the government came out and said that uh, no one will be allowed near Area 51, like basically shut it down. was kind of like creepy to me. So I kind of want to have it happen even more, but also I kind of feel bad about myself for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's it's also like, yeah, they would just mow everybody down. I guess if they had, if they wanted to.
1: I guess I can't I imagine. Know. I mean, that just seems totally implausible. But that's kind of why I want to see what happens because I don't feel like they would actually do that. But I want to see what they would do, and then I think Elon Musk threw fuel on the fire by tweeting about it, so he got another several thousand cra- crazies whipped up <laughs> about it. So I, I I want I want let me put it this way. I feel bad about the way I feel about it, but I don't feel so bad that I wouldn't watch the live stream.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's definitely like, if, it's probably like the most interesting hypothetical to ever come together. Like, what if 150,000 people stormed Area 51? Like, what would the government could and couldn't do and what would happen?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. And the other what you just said, that what if, like, if that happens and they storm it and, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, nothing really happens or something does happen then what's the next thing because that will set off oh this was a thing let's try this thing and then it's just like wow we really need to shut all social media down immediately
0: (laughs) yeah and i i like how this is just turned to a Joe rogan podcast which really like my goal to get the Joe rogan podcast to be just like eat dog eat nothing but dog food for 30 days and get really jacked (laughs) mainly because i'm not eating at all but like yeah like the dog food gives me all my macros and look how i feel so good and then I would just talk to Joe Rogan for three hours and then get like 150,000 Instagram followers and then just live off like Tide advertisements, you know?
1: Yeah. You just like Purina would call you up and you'd be set and, <laughs> and you'd also have Joe Rogan promoting it for you.
0: Yeah. It'd be great. I've made my own dog food brand and everything for people.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'll be your first customer. I'll, I'll try it. I don't even have a dog, but I mean, I want to get jacked like you.
0: Yeah. One cup a day. That's all you need. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess since we're on the topic, we can keep on going through. I know we probably, I don't know how much more time you have left. I guess maybe about five, ten minutes or so. But uh, so, what was your what was your favorite summer yeah, movie sure that fine. you've seen this year? Was it Midsummer? Or was it something else?
1: Oh boy, I mean,
0: and there may be some I've spoilers a lot. if you're still if you're still listening to us right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I guess Midsummer has been my favorite, but I'm still struggling with how exactly. I felt about that movie I mean I I loved the artistry of it and I knew I was going to love the artistry of it because I loved Hereditary so much as you know a handful of you probably know who are listening Ari Oster the director his debut was Hereditary I loved it it's just I thought it was so artistically beautiful and Midsummer had a lot of that too um I definitely didn't like it as much as Hereditary and yeah I guess we should just put the full spoiler warning out there if you plan on seeing Midsummer, then uh, just stop listening um I think the thing that intrigued me the most about Midsummer is that, you know, it's not your typical horror movie, but it certainly has tons of horror elements. And the fact that it took place almost entirely in bright sunlight was just something that I've never really seen before. I thought thought that was super, super interesting. Um, and it was definitely deeply unsettling, just like hereditary was in a lot of ways. And I think for me, something that I've just kind of figured out, figured out about myself over the years Like graphic violence doesn't really affect me too much um, except when it's kind of very realistic, like cartoonish graphic, like you take Kill Bill, for example, that's comic book, silly violence. That doesn't bother me in the slightest, but like sort of more uh, realistic graphic violence, um, it doesn't affect me too much, but I think um, Ari Oster could have taken a lesson from Steven Spielberg and you know, the famous, you know, for film nerds anyway, example from Jaws was that Steven Spielberg wishes that he had shown the shark less. And that's – I think I think he, he – that some of the stuff that happened in that movie could have had a little bit more impact yeah. if he'd done it a little bit less, which, you know, with Hereditary, it's interesting because in his, his directorial debut, I thought he did a pretty good job of not going too much over the top with it except that in one famous shot in Hereditary, like the thing that you were seeing was so over the top that it kind of in and of itself was enough. At midsummer, they kind of went to the well a little bit too often for my taste. Um, But the thing I also wanted to bring up was, was, you know, the older I get, um, the thing that I think connects me with Ari Oster in both of these movies, because he really gets me um, to react, is the way that he directs his actors to express grief is just so harsh and real to me if you think of Tony Collette in hereditary and she's expressing a lot of grief for things that happen in that movie. And it's just so hard to watch because it just, I mean, she's such a great actress, but also that director just got that out of her. And then in this movie also, there's some horrible stuff that happens early on and the actress who plays the main character, which I don't, yeah, that, that that grief, like that actually affected me more than anything graphic in the movie.
0: Yeah. Like I still have that image in my head of like the gas mask thing on her face. Like I can still see it. Like it was that that yeah. thing was that was terrible. Um, but yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I I think that was kind of the biggest thing about me with this movie. Like when I watched it was like, Yeah, that was cool, but it stuck with me. Like I still think about it, you know, two or three weeks later, I guess it is, three weeks later now. And also just the fact that you're watching a horror movie, but it's all taking place in the day, none of it's at night, and it just makes you feel weird throughout it. Like as you progressively like keep going farther and farther through the movie. Uh, but I do want to see it again, mainly because what, one of the things that they were saying, like for everybody but the main character, and this is what Ari Oster says, it said like in a podcast for everybody but the main character, is like a full core movie, kind of like the Wicker Man or whatever. But for like the main character itself, like for her, it's kind of like a fairy tale, like a revenge fantasy, uh, you know, based on everything happens and like the decisions that she makes. And I also <laughs> think it's like, it says a lot too about like how hilarious like socialization is. Just like with their oracle, just like mm-hmm. drawing, you know, just smudges in a book, then writing, you know, ruins or whatever after it. I think just it's just like kind of the yep. same old story of like, you know, the grandmother cooks something that uses this pot and then they don't know why knows why. And then she calls her mother. It's like, oh, yeah, it's because that was the biggest pot that I had. And I think so uh-huh. much of like what makes us people and what makes society the way it is is just because somebody did this weird thing, we all keep doing it. I think that, that movie shows that a lot too. And also like, you said about like grief and like the need to like actually connect and like the need to have help and then not to have that, and then she finally gets that. And, like I love that scene so much with the breathing where like they're like they're breathing and you know they, in that room together. Yeah, together, and, like I had the chills in that scene, and very rarely does it happen. And I was like, Yeah, that's perfect.
1: I, I love it when directors make their actors do something that looks like it might be uncomfortable, even for an actor who, you know, an actor will do whatever because that's what acting is. But I I feel like there's things in his, in these first two movies he's done where like, he's doing things that, that, that are making his actors uncomfortable. I think that's a good thing. You know, there was the crazy, like, sex scene in that movie that was just so creepy. And there's so much uncomfortable stuff going on in that movie. There's all this full frontal nudity of like all different ages and sizes of people. And it's just, it's very unsettling. And I know that he's doing that to make the, you know, he's making his actors uncomfortable to make the audience uncomfortable. And I think he achieved that. I mean, that's when you get walkouts. Like if I was a director, that would be a goal of mine. I I want, I want to make people walk out of my movies because I make them so damn uncomfortable with going too much over the top yeah you know so when, when you i, I love that aspect of it
0: when you saw it in the theater do my laugh in that scene in the theater
1: yeah there were there were a couple of laughs i was shocked that actually when i saw it, nobody walked out i was i was absolutely shocked by that because hereditary had a couple of walkouts for sure um but i was very surprised now there was a guy who was sitting right next to my wife who like he i mean he did walk out but he kept coming back like he clearly was uncomfortable <laughs> with a lot of things going on in the movie and he he looked like he was about you know i don't know mid-30s or so Did like you, call a, him you know coward? <laughs> no like he looked like an average looking guy you know just wearing average you know white male clothing and and he kept like kind of <clears throat> coughing into his hand and like he would leave and he would come back and he would leave and he'd come back and he finished the movie but he clearly was uncomfortable with <laughs> a couple of the scenes um and just but yeah the artistry of it i love the whole like you know, the whole, like the beauty of the earth kind of artistry that was going on with that. And like, you know, the barn at the end with all the, 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 things that they dressed all the bodies with, you know, like one was a tree and, you know, the bear was stuffed with, you know, a body and like the other person is like, just become, you know, part of the earth or whatever. Like, I just, I thought that was gorgeous. Like I, I love, I loved that so much, even though it was just so disturbing.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll send you this album, and it's pretty much like that, that sex scene in Midsummer. It's pretty much the same as this album artwork for this album I really love. And so that's all I thought about from that. And I was joking with a friend of mine. It's like, yeah, like if I ever get married on my honeymoon, I want to pay some old woman like a hundred bucks to push my butt for like, you know, h- how <laughs> however long it takes. You know, that's what I want to do if I ever get married and have a honeymoon.
1: Yeah. Or do it for, uh, you know, if you want to have kids, that's how you conceive.
0: For sure. <laughs> yeah. Like if the, the fertility doctor doesn't work out, like, Oh, I I know just the trick. I'm going to go to Sweden. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. That'll really get me going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for, I'm sure nobody has seen that movie, but, uh, one, if, if you listen to this podcast and you're intrigued and you can get through it, you'll, uh, you'll know the scene when you see it.
0: Yeah. All right. <laughs> so the last question before we go, are you going to see the Tarantino movie on Friday and do you think it's going to be good?
1: Um, I'm not going to see it Friday. I don't think, but I will definitely see it because Tarantino is just one of mm. those filmmakers. I'll see all his movies, even though I don't love all his movies. In fact, I only love a couple of his movies. Yeah. There's a few that I like. There's a few that I love and there's a few that I just really don't like at all. Um, so, but yeah, I definitely want to see it. Um, I'm sort of intrigued by the fact that Leo and Brad Pitt are going to be in a movie together. The trailers don't
0: the trailers really are look terrible. great to me. Yeah. I think it's been bad because the trailers. Yeah. Like it looks I hate those yeah, movies they, that are they, like like Halo Caesar for example where it's like an homage to old Hollywood like I hate that crap like where it's like oh yeah it's ba- it's like a you know it's based off of like these movies that we love from 1955 that stuff sucks and mm-hmm. so that's my concern with it, it seems me like Halo C- Caesar was where it's just like a big giant like you know jerk off to all of like old Hollywood from yeah. the 1970s and I I can't stand those sorts of movies
1: And see that, that's you know in a way, that's Tarantino's whole career. You know, he's very like he's very original, but he's also very derivative. Like without Martin Scorsese, there's no Quentin Tarantino. Like, yeah. none. So he is very derivative, but he also has made that into his own style. And of course, Pulp Fiction created an entire genre on its own. You know, for every ten Pulp Fiction copycats, nine of them were terrible, and one of them was pretty good. That's just kind of how it went for years after 1994 when that movie came out. So I mean, he's a visionary. He's all that, but he also is way too up his own ass um which is one of the reasons why i don't like some of his movies like he just gets so much into how clever he thinks his dialogue is i think this is kind of an interesting thought experiment like i've thought about this with other directors too i would love to see some talented directors that i love so much who all who also write their own movies i would love to see them direct somebody else's script tarantino is one of those guys i'd love to see how tarantino would direct a different script you know before M. Night Shyamalan went off a cliff and became one of the worst filmmakers of all time I would have loved to see him direct somebody else's script because these guys just get too far in their own head and their own canon and they're so clever and they just amuse themselves and I'm just like guys for god's sake evolve a little bit
0: yeah no, I know what you're saying that's interesting but yeah I'm gonna see it but I don't know basically the trailer's things has been bad I was it was one of these movies where like, I was excited for for like five months or whatever and then now I'm like yeah this just this looks like the exact type of thing I don't like now it's going to be three hours yeah. longer or whatever, two and that whole sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Always too, too long. I mean, for me, a movie never needs to be longer than two hours. Almost, almost always, almost always. Like, and now it's like any big event movie has to be two and a half hours long, at least. And I just, I'm just like, why? Like it's, it's rarely, rarely necessary.
0: Except for the tree of life. That movie probably could have been like another, I could use used a whole hour of the universe and everything else. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we actually should, maybe next time we do a podcast, you know, before the end of the summer here, if we can carve out 15 minutes, because obviously we're going to have more football stuff to talk about soon, but I I definitely would like to talk about that at some point.
0: I can probably go back and rewatch it whenever I get back, and then uh, we can do that and then talk about, like, Texans-Packers preseason game number one or something.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone can blame us for padding out a, a a Texans podcast in the preseason with some movie content. I mean, it's preseason.
0: Yeah, it sounds good. Okay, well I'll let you go. Thanks for being on tonight. We'll uh, set something up also probably for the next next three weeks or so. Whenever I get back from Cowboy Land, and uh, but yeah, thank you for listening to the show, everybody. Thank you for being on tonight, Chris. And my name is Matt Weston. Lee for listening on the radio.
1: Thanks, man.